actually thought the first line of the song until I gave it a hard listen. I always thought the first line was, uh, I want you to know I had baked for you. <laughs> <laughs> She's just showing up with banana bread and like he's with some other woman. <laughs> What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of 1001 Album Complaints, the show where experienced musicians and longtime friends get together to discuss a randomly selected album from Robert Dimery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. If you're a fan of the show or you're listening for the first time and you like what you're hearing, do us a solid and hit us up with a review or a rating on the streaming platform of your choice. It'll go a long way in helping us make sure that our petty grievances are heard by as many people as possible. This week, we're headed back to the 90s for what I think is safe to say was a total smash hit of an album. Smash yeah. hits, yes. And that's Jagged Little Pill from Alanis Morissette. I think most people are probably somewhat familiar with this album, but if you're not, uh, we'll play a few you know, snippets. I- I'm almost certain that you've heard several of these songs before. Let's kick this episode off with a quick sample of the track that essentially propelled her into uh, superstardom, which is a track called You Ought to Know. I want you to know that I'm happy for you. I wish nothing but the best for you both. I know the version of me Is she perverted like me? Would she go down on you in a theater? Does she speak eloquently? And would she have your baby? I'm sure she'd make a really excellent mother Cause the last that she gave to me babe Was a baby for the baker For you to be open wide No And every time you speak her name Let's go around the horn and uh, do some quick introductions, and uh, I'd love to get your your tweet-length review uh, of this album. Let's start with you, Phil. Yeah, I mean, my tweet-length review of this record, uh, you know, would probably be, I mean, this is these are, these are smash hits of the 90s, uh, Voice of a Generation, and some other bad songs. <laughs> <laughs> that checks out. <laughs> All right, what about you, Tom? Yeah, this is Tom here. You know, I uh, it's quaint to think that this was once shocking and edgy. Um, definitely a powerhouse of an album, but a powerhouse from a different time. I, in retrospect, a little less edge on it than I thought that there was going to be. Yeah, this is Adam. Tom, right in line with what you were saying, I guess my nostalgia brain as a 15-year-old took over, but for some reason I was expecting like a female-fronted grunge album. <laughs> And this was definitely not that. 
Yeah, this is Alan here. To me, the image I've always had in my head of this album is this no holds barred, tour de force, visceral, you know, angry album. Upon re-listen, I think I may have been totally mistaken in some ways about this album. The thing I found most interesting about this album to kind of start with, and, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit in a text thread. If if anyone thought this was her debut album, um, that would be incorrect. This was, in fact, album number three. So <laughs> wait, what? She's Alana started her career as a sort of a teeny bobber. Right. So she came out with her first album, her first two albums. I want to say when she was somewhere around like 13, 14, 15, something Jeez, like that. That's crazy. So she came up um, and a little bit of sort of backstory about just her, her, where she comes from. Um, she's at, she's Canadian. She was born in, in Ottawa in 1974, you know, pretty standard kind of middle-class upbringing, very staunchly Catholic, which I think probably shows up in some of the songs. It's interesting um, you say that we're going to, I, this is, that's actually, I'm, that's in some of my notes. So I'm, I'm curious. You have a sense of crippling guilt in these in these lyrics. <laughs> I think that's the only non-Catholic uh, upbringing here. I maybe didn't pick up on. on no, no. I, I'm actually just going to jump to the note right now. I have a note in the "You Ought to Know" notes because it goes. That's the second track. All I really want is first, and the second track is "You Ought to Know." I have a note that says. Uh, did this girl go to Catholic school? You can tell she did around the first course. And then I just have words that are listed in the first two songs. Deliverance, meet the maker, humble by his humble nature, cross to bear, kindred. These are Catholic school words, right? Like <laughs> You didn't get the through him, with him, in him, like break down for a course, for a bridge somewhere. Yeah. Dude, this is a Catholic school talk. Oh, anyway, sorry, Alan, I didn't mean to derail no, I just, it makes me reflect on, you know, being the public school kid who, you know, you were just assumed to be a shithead and there wasn't cloaked in guilt or <laughs> anything. It was just, uh, it was just right out there. Um, and let, let's actually play a little, uh, a clip of some of her early material because it's, it is not like, you know, say what you want about Jagged Little Pill. It is a huge departure from what she did before. Um, let, let's just play a clip of that. Here's an interesting tidbit. She actually, at one point in her pre-jagged little pill career, she opened for Vanilla Ice. So I think that gives you a sense of <laughs> what she was doing before she she you know sort of hit it big. And again, she started that her career is wild. Yeah, very like dance pop, sort of like hip hop flavored dance pop. Well, think about the Mickey, like the Mickey Mouse Club, right? You had Britney, you had JT. I'm sure there were a couple at Miley. I think Christina right? Aguilera was in that, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah, they all they all stayed in that hyper pop, you know, track, uh, mostly electronic produced, you know, the dance music, whatever. Miley Cyrus got real weird later. 
Yeah, yeah. I'll give you that. <laughs> but this is it's interesting to just watch the this is not a new story, right? It's new because she went in a completely different direction, but the idea of a 13-year-old starting on Disney or in this case Canadian was, you, know, you can't do that on television. Something. That was Nickelodeon, man. Oh, that was Nickelodeon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's so right. she she did. I think I want to say like five or six episodes of You Can't Do That on Television as a middle schooler. I, I did not look up any of these. I'm sure YouTube has some archived footage, and I don't know if there's a separate Canadian version or if that was the one that you know we all saw in the states. But you know, it definitely pointed to a a flair for the dramatic or a you know, potential future in the arts. I think I think it points to a little bit more of, you know, you mentioned, you know, Miley Cyrus, Justin Timberlake, Britney Spears. It I did not think of her as being one of those products that they had groomed from a young age for stardom. It's like you are a product that we are going to try to monetize and. We're going to put you on television. Oh, that didn't really work out. Okay, second chance. We're going to have you make a teeny bopper album. That didn't work out. Okay, third chance. We're going to have you make a, you know, rip off like, uh, oh, that hip hop's the thing these days kind of album. And uh, that didn't work out. They give you yet another chance to make a your third album. Like, somebody really wanted her to be famous. Oh, that's, that's a good point. Who's pulling those purse strings, right? Oh. She has a bit of an interesting sort of like family structure here too, right? And then her like her mother's a teacher. Um, her she has a brother who's an entrepreneur and a twin brother who's a musician. Uh, so th- you've got to imagine this is a pseudo. This is a competitive, right? Like household. Imagine right? being so, that musician brother and being like, "How many copies of Jagged Little Pill did you sell? God damn it! Can I just be in your band or something? Like, come on, throw me a bone here. Can I open for you? Like, yeah, my name's Alan Morissette. <laughs> like, every time I get a show, people expect Atlantis. Like, get off the stage, you suck. It's like when that hockey team, what were they called? The uh, Danbury Trashers. The Trashers. Yeah. When they when they signed uh, Brett Gretzky, Wayne Gretzky's brother. <laughs> like, this is the ticket right here. We got, we got our guy. <laughs> So, yeah, so she, before she was even finished high school, she releases these two albums. The first album, actually, despite being, you know, something we're we're sort of joking about as this, like, dance pop, you know, sort of a joke, it actually went platinum in in Canada. Wow. But nobody knew her really in America, so I think she... What was platinum in Canada? Like, Like 75 copies, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Canada, I love you. So she she kind of got a name for herself a little bit. Second album rolls around two years later and has about half the sales. So I think already the trajectory was going down. And her record company at the time, which I want to say was MCA, actually dropped her. And so by the time she was like 18 or 19, she was, was essentially without a record contract. And I think was the story goes that she wanted to start writing her own music or, or bringing more of her own like personal, you know, self to these songs you know who knows how much of it was just hey i'm at a crossroads in my career already and i don't have a record deal so i need to take this in some kind of different direction just go for it just do something right just switch it up exactly so she around this time uh, she moved to la to meet some new musicians and just kind of get connected with a different you know scene that could could help catapult her in a different way And she got connected with this guy, Glenn Ballard, who is really like, obviously she's the, the face of the album and it's her deal, but Glenn Ballard 
who also wrote, I, he's worth like looking up if you haven't heard of him. I hadn't heard of him before, but he actually contributed to a few Michael Jackson albums. By this point, was a really accomplished musician. And so they kind of hooked up and had had somewhat of an instant connection where right away they started, he started writing songs and she would write lyrics to them. And they were doing this kind of like song a day, you know, format. And I think it's very clear when you listen to it, it's sort of a demo album. Like there was no, the album was really meant to be just enough to fund a second album. Right. So it was like, let's just get this thing out. Um, you know, she was brought to Glenn as some really talented vocalist and he thought he could, you know, make something out of that. So this was really just, let's get it out there, try to get some funding for the next album. That kind of explains some of the production choices that we'll talk about. So there's something. So in my research, I came across this detail, which is interesting. I I was, I was looking at, uh, one of the tunes, I was looking at Beata's take on one of the tunes and, um, he talks about how the record was recorded on ADAT, which was like an intermediary medium, right? We went from sort of between like, digital, yeah, uh, between yeah, hard exactly. drive it's and sti- tape. Exactly. Right? It still utilized not two inch tape, right? It utilized basically VCR tapes, right? You could put these VCR tapes in them uh, and it would record tracks digitally somehow. On oh, this. dude. Okay, so this is going back, but do you remember the uh, our our high school band, yes. right? And we yes. went over to a drummer's house, and he had a home studio. And I remember we we quote unquote cut a song, and he gave us a VHS tape, and we're like, "What the hell are we supposed to and do?" He was with like, "That's this? the ADAT master like, or something." He's like, "He's like, you have to go have it mastered." I'm like, "Does that cost money?" Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Look at me. I'm 16. I don't have anything. I can't go pay somebody a hundred bucks. <laughs> Look, I'll tell but you can what. Can I put it you... in the VCR? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll tell you what. You play it back through your studio monitors, and I'll hold up this Casio <laughs> tape recorder, and then that'll be our demo. I remember at the end of that session, at one point, he's like, "Is that bass in tune?" I was like, "Well, I don't know." <laughs> he's like, "You didn't tune before you started." I was like, "Oh no, no, I did. Was I supposed to do that?" <laughs> I thought you were going to do that for me. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that what post is? And then he kicked us out of his house. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that stands right up to what you guys were saying, right? Is that, that that's an interesting detail that this was recorded in a format that would have been substandard, for lack of a better word, in... When did this come out? 93? 95, 95 it came out. Ah, definitely, right? Like In the machine of, of ex- L.A. Exactly. Is, in the machine yeah, of L.A., you would have been in a high-end digital room or you'd have been on like the slickest two-inch stuff ever, right? right. Like... Right. The best stuff from the 70s tuned up with, you know, leading ball bearings. I don't know. What <laughs> yeah, yeah I don't anyway. know what they actually have in 95. You know, side. it's actually really interesting. Um, uh, Rob, who's not here, and I were just in a recording studio over the weekend, and we were talking to the guy there about the setup and, like, how much money all this stuff costs. And he was just like, you know, honestly, these days, tape machines, you can just get a two-inch tape machine It'll be somebody who's like, it doesn't really work, but if you want to take it and fix it up, you can fix it up for me. He's like, we didn't pay for this tape machine. They actually got it from um, uh, the Lucasfilms. 
studio. Um, they oh, had Skywalker take, Sound. Skywalker right? Ranch. Yeah, like Skywalker yeah, Sound. Yeah. yeah, he got it from there, and they were just like, "Yeah, with no like way. it doesn't work. You can take it if you want." Um, and he said they took it and they had to replace like you know maybe like ten percent of the parts or something like that to get it working, clean out everything. But he's like, now it's a fantastic tape machine because we were talking about how all this stuff must be so expensive. And it's like tape mm-hmm. machines, mm-hmm. they're huge. And if people have one, they're not going to throw it out because you have to call somebody to haul it away. So generally speaking, somebody right. will just let you take it. But you're <laughs> right. going to have to fix it because if it's working, somebody's using it. But if it's not working, somebody will let you take it. Yeah. Right. It's like a piano. There's like millions yes, of pianos like on old pianos. Well, right. free. free a, if you get rid of it. As a uh, as an aside, they also had in the studio uh, Greg Allman's uh, Hammond and Leslie. Oh, my because God. apparently Greg Allman's daughter lives in Berkeley, and it was just sitting in her garage, and uh, she was friends with somebody who worked at the studio, and they, she was like, oh, I'll just give it to you on permanent loan if you want. So uh, I get to make a little bit of noise on Greg Hammond's uh, uh, last Bad ass, yeah, it was really nice. I was like, I can't play the organ at all, but it's nice to right. be like, oh, yeah, there we go. But you can oh, hit yeah. one chord and just go, Yeah. Yeah. So some interesting studio choices. And I think this actually speaks to one of the reasons why the, you know, we'll get into some of our kind of critiques of the album, but there's no denying that this album was hugely impactful, not just commercially. And we can do a little by the numbers in a minute, but this album resonated with millions and millions of people. I think especially young women, because if you go back to this era, like there really were not very many women that were doing really rock music at all. And I think this album tried to do whether it was successful or not, we'll get into, but I think tried to get into that grunge territory, you know, with a female fronted vocalist. And I was going to say the Pacific Northwest would beg to differ. They had that whole riot girl scene going on up there that had been around for a while. Like bikini kill had been putting albums out already. Liz fair was putting albums out before this. Liz fair definitely was, was one of the forerunners. Yeah. And I'm not saying that it it didn't exist, but I mean, at the time, certainly wasn't popular. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and for a woman to come out at that time and the way that the the writing process went, you know, part of her sort of dynamic with with Glenn Ballard was they wrote very stream of consciousness. And, you know, some of the songs were written in, you know, 15, 20 minutes, which seems kind of obvious when we talk about some of them, ironic being one of them, um, which (laughs) that's no no shocker (laughs) that that was very hastily written. Um, But I think their dynamic was he would put some chord progressions together and she would just write whatever she was feeling. And then she would ask like, okay, we probably need to edit some of this out or some of it's a little profane and maybe we need to, to clean it up. And he would say, well, is that how you feel? And she'd say, yeah. And he's like, well, why would we, why would we change it? And so my point being, I think that that style of songwriting, the fact that here's like a 19 year old woman kind of, spilling her guts out essentially um that that resonated with a lot of people and so i think that is part of why this album had such uh such impact in terms of the the numbers i knew this was like a smash hit but i was frankly blown away by how this did on the charts um, all right hit, hit me with it I, I didn't i deliberately didn't look at any of the numbers dude uh, it's I wanted insanity. to hear from you yeah so it's one of the top 20 selling albums of all time. What? He, here are some albums. Wait, 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 top what? 20. Top 20. Yeah. Wow. So it's here are some albums directly ahead of this in the rankings Michael Jackson's Bad, Led Zeppelin 4, Grease Soundtrack, 
Fleetwood Mac rumors. This is the territory that this album is in commercially. Jesus. Here are some of the albums that this has sold more copies than. Sgt. Pepper's. <laughs> Metallica. Metallica Black Album. You can album. stop right there. Abbey what? Road. Born in the USA. I mean, this This outsold wow. Appetite for Destruction, which is like, I always hold that up as like, Appetite for Destruction sold so many. This like, right. well outsold Appetite for Destruction. Yeah. Well, and that this album is... was a... This was sort of a masterclass in in like the slow drip single sort of no. like so yeah over probably like an 18 month period I was going to say because at, as a 15 year old I mean I you know I listened to the radio but I rarely bought albums at that age and so I thought that that she had many more albums and these were singles being released from all yeah, of them. When but, I will re-listen to this I was like that's all from this album. Damn. Right. This defined right. like two and a half years of my high school like right. listening to this stuff on the radio. Oh, that's crazy, man. Yeah, I was wow. I had the same reaction where I was like is this like a greatest hits album because it was all just just stacked. Um However, I, I think we should probably talk about well, our. Here's one thing. Here's one thing I just want to bring up, and I I, I think that this cannot be uh, ignored. She didn't do really anything after this in terms of musical success, and I think that part of it was the success of this album made it so that it was almost you almost couldn't follow up. She sold 33 million copies of this album worldwide. She- which, Jesus if you remember Christ, back to our TLC episode, we talked about TLC had a historically terrible contract. It was it's renowned as like one of the worst contracts that you could have, and they made fifty six cents on every album sold. So even if she had a historically terrible deal, she would have made right. like eighteen million dollars off of this album, which means that she just never has to do anything again for the rest of her life. And I feel like right. you can you can tell on this album that she probably knows that this is her last chance or, or you know she's like she's really like i really have to make this work um right. because i i my acting career didn't really go anywhere my last two albums flopped this album is like a hey prove it or basically give up and go sell insurance type of album and um <laughs> i think yeah. it comes through for her and brother, everything else after that entrepreneurial yeah. brothers company yeah man, right sure. <laughs> i'm sure he's uh not hurting for cash yeah, for yeah. venture cash, but um, no, Tom, I think you're exactly right. Like she, this was very much a like hail mary. Like I've really got nothing to lose here. Um, who knows how much of that, you know, went to to Glenn Ballard, who really wrote all, all the songs from a musical standpoint. Oh, I'm um, sure Glenn Ballard was making probably like he, four he bucks a record okay. or something like that. Right. And he's doing <laughs> yes, this. yeah. But clearly, you sell 33 million records, you do not need to work for the rest of your life. Um, However, one of the things that happened with her is after she released this album and after Jagged Little Pill sort of took off, um, she toured heavily for 18 months while these singles were just being, you know, slowly released over time. And then she just stopped and didn't really do anything for another three years, came out with another album that was, you know, sort of mediocre. And, you know, she's probably done an album every three to five years since then, but, um, yeah, she still tours, and I'm and I'm sure it's on the back of a lot of this old material. But yeah, it, it it's a little bit of a a one hit wonder in that sense of right. You know, she's and, touring now with the Counting Crows. Yeah. Well, and in, in that '90s, uh, let, that let 90s me ask you: Did any of you guys? Touring. Did any of you guys listen to her later stuff? Um, I did not. I think a great I, I analog yeah, here would be Fiona Apple. 
Fiona Apple put out title smash hit, made uh, a ton it's, of it's money. It's so awesome. Like, it's so it's, it's, good it's so good. awesome. Yes, yeah. it is. It is. It's an earthquake, a seismic event. Yeah. But then she just made music kind of for herself after that. And mm-hmm. I really I dig that. I respect that. That last album that she put out a couple years ago, like right at the beginning of the pandemic, it was fantastic. It was really yeah. good. Um, I wonder if Alanis did the thing of chasing the dragon on the you know let what's my next you ought to know or if she was just like i'm just gonna make whatever music i want from here on out i listened to one song of hers that from her next album the song thank you garbage i mean it's it just terrible it's not <laughs> well, and that was one of her singles too i know yeah. yeah so i'm i'm curious if she went in that direction i didn't get the impression that she went in the direction of let me just make music for myself but you, you know i don't know I'm not, i don't want to sell her short or anything like that clearly she's got talent she put out this album so there's some talent there yeah for sure it, it definitely struck a chord um horrible pun not intended but um yeah so in general like uh, i know we've talked about the singles and the commercial success upon re-listening to this what what do you guys think overall I'll be honest, uh, it sort of like hit me in a like a nostalgic sort of emotional way in a way I had not anticipated. Like it hit me a lot harder giving it a really serious listen, you know, 20 years after the last time I sat through this record one way or the other, right? Like, and yeah, it I was really impressed, honestly, um, with, you know, a few very, very... There's some serious filler on here. Uh, and one of those songs was a smash hit. Uh, and, you know, we, we'll, get, we'll get there. So, <laughs> you know, Phil, I think for you, I mean, we, we were very good friends at the time that this was coming out. This seems like something you listened to with one of your girlfriends a lot back then. Uh, sure. You know, sure. and I know the girlfriend. I, I, can, I, I can see you. I can picture you guys listening to this in the car or whatever, you know, like that nostalgia aspect didn't hit me quite as hard because I didn't have as personal a connection to this. This was just something that was on the radio all the yeah, time. Yeah, it's interesting just to, to speak to that directly, though, Tom. My sort of nostalgia experience wasn't like linked like in a direct way. It was more like, oh, I I know this record much better than I had anticipated. And yeah, I was impressed with some of the production choices. And yes, I'm sure there's an element of sort of just remembering a different time. Yeah, I I listened to this and I I I wondered like was Liz Fair like I'll oh, fuck that bitch or was she like oh <laughs> thankfully somebody's going to start listening to the music like that that I've been making for kind of a bit now and um you know is this going to be something that is going to boost my career and I would say that it probably did boost her career cuz I think that um you know if you look at what was getting play after it this is one of those this is one of those albums that made a thousand A and R guys go out there and be like, "Where's the next Atlantis? We got to find somebody who's making music like Atlantis." Like it, it definitely had that ripple impact. Oh, this on, this yeah. was like one of I'd say like three or four sort of female led '90s musicians that sort of in 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 tandem or in, as a cohort launched that Lilith Fair phenomenon, right? Which was, you know, a, a women in music festival for a decade, like a successful music festival. Yes, it it did totally, but I don't know that the like outcome was there in terms of like 
I wish we had many... a woman on the podcast for today. <laughs> yeah, I think I know one. We're working on that. Yeah, we're, we're, we're working on that. But if you look back, so Alanis Morissette actually uh, played at Woodstock 99. And of all the acts that were there, she was one of three female performers, which maybe wow. that says more about the... Ooh, this came up once before, right? It was her, Cheryl Crow, and then who else? There's one more. It's escaping me right now, but yes. So, yeah. You're talking about the, the Woodstock, which one? The Woodstock 99 or the Woodstock? 99. Uh, 90, the, okay. The apocalyptic. But, but there was uh, the 97 one too, right? Yeah. 90, or Woodstock 94? 94? Yeah. 94, Woodstock yeah. 94. Yeah. Hey, Alan, you know who also played at Woodstock 99? Hands up now. Hands down. <laughs> Tell me what you're going to do. Keep rolling, rolling. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, Adam! Anytime you can bring up bring up Limp Bizkit, it's just nothing but Limp Bizkit. Just three dollar bills up and down with you, man. Jewel, Jewel was the other performer. There you go, Jewel. Oh yeah. wow! So Not even with music. the, you know, let's go find the the next Alanis. There, it, it it was tough to kind of break through that scene. Um, so yeah, let, let's uh, let's actually get into some of the tracks here. We we started a little bit of uh, you ought to know, but I think. There's a little bit more of that we can explore here, so let's. Yeah, I think that warrants a deeper dive. Oh, yeah, for sure. yeah. <laughs> in, in case you, you listeners out there are not familiar with, you want to know, <laughs> you didn't walk past a radio in the '90s and didn't hear this song. Yeah, like this is not as this is not as edgy as I remember, but this still rocks. Like yeah, this, this rocks. definitely this rocks. rocks. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a great song. I, I agree, Phil. You mentioned that Rick Beato deep dive, which I also watched, and which I don't know if you for people that aren't aware of his channel, I think it's actually pretty cool. He pulls all the the like master tracks and oh yeah, yeah I'd love to know yeah. where he gets those. By the way, so if Beato hears this, if you want to like get me in touch with your guy, I'd love to. There's check actually out those stems. An- <laughs> there are some, I, I don't know if he always uses the exact masters, but there are some apps out there that do a pretty good job of actually using AI going to the cloud and then separating out the different tracks where you can actually push it up and it'll send back down the drums isolated, the vocals isolated. Really? So I've seen a lot of people doing drum covers of songs and they're actually using this app. I have, I have one called Moises, which uh, it's free. So if you're out oh, there and you're a, uh, yeah. a musician and you want to jam along with whoever, Try downloading. It's a pretty cool app. Or if you want to run this podcast through it and only get Tom, like if you just want to listen to right. <laughs> yes. only Tom, that option just, yeah. exists. Just hard, unsubstantiated opinions. That's all that you want. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> but yeah, what? What? Uh, let's hear what you guys have to say about the uh, about this track in general. Crap. Total crap. 
dude. No, I, I'm just kidding. No, I'm totally no. kidding. No. I was like, I, this, I thought this was great. I this is dope. It's so, yeah, it's man. So this is a good tune. So can we first make note of who plays on this, which yeah. is different than the rest of the album, right? Navarro, is it? Dave Navarro yeah, Dave on Navarro plays, plays guitar. guitar who, who is from uh, uh, Jane's Addiction. And was, did he play with the Chili Peppers? He was playing with Chili bit? Peppers. He was on the One Hot Minute after Frashanti okay. got kicked out, uh, which Phil yeah, yeah, and I yeah. actually saw them on the One Hot Minute tour. It was awesome. They really yeah, brought it. It was so yeah, great. Yeah. It was so good. Yeah. It was like really like psychedelic Red yeah, Hot Chili really Peppers yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. It was really weird. Yeah. And then Flea. Of course, playing bass, which really makes the song. Because I mean, the song itself is is two chords. How and how do you right? get Flea and Dave Navarro for your album? I know. <laughs> yeah, you're right, Tom. You want to talk about like who's pulling the purse strings or the producer? Like he must have been really well connected to get them in for. Well, they're L.A. guys, right? Like they're okay, L.A. Right, right. dudes, right? Did like, he have pictures of Flea town, like strangling you know? a homeless guy or something like that? I don't know. A lot of stuff <laughs> happens under the bridge, dude. And, like friends are made, deals are made. Blood, blood right. is drawn. Yeah, blood <laughs> is drawn. Yeah. Well, he, so so back to Glenn Ballard though. He he wasn't like a lightweight. I mean, he was definitely extremely well connected and well accomplished producer. He again. He worked on. He worked on Thriller and Bad. I don't know what his contributions were specifically, but like he I mean, was if super. You, if you get a credit of any kind on Thriller or yeah. Bad, if you were just like the cocaine delivery salesman on Bad, still great. Good <laughs> right. for you. Good for you. The royalties are. are thick. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Dave Navarro actually, when he was asked about the recording of this, apparently they were only given the vocal track as the guide, and so him and flea got to really like set the define oh, yeah. the song basically you know which i would expect no less if you're enlisting them um yeah i i noticed that this definitely feels like one take flea like he kind of is just sort of doing his thing yep. I, right at the very beginning Agreed, of the song the if you have if you have it pumped in your headphones there's like some errant bass string sound yeah, that you totally, hear at the very totally. beginning. And like, it's just, yes. that's just a one taker. You're just like, ah, it's good. Like, yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah. Like he's, he's getting ready. Like yeah. he's like, all right, well I got to go land on my, get ready on that starting note. Yeah. It's awesome. Like, yeah. Flea, I feel like is one of those bass players that gets called out. as like, Oh, the most amazing bass player. And he's great. He's fantastic. And this is a like quintessential flea in my opinion, in that it starts solid. He really defines the harmony. And as the song builds, he builds with it, right? And yeah. he's and, it, and he's adding all this like rhythmic and harmonic dimension, but also like yeah. never losing. You never lose the foundational thing he delivers. And I, I just feel like he's talked about like he's some kind of, you know, like you know, like Eddie Van Halen. And it's like he's not a shredder. Yeah, he is. A, he can shred. shred, but he doesn't shred on. Well, most that's of what the people songs. associate yeah. with when you know, like when I tell people I play bass, they're like, "Oh, is Flea like the best bass player in the world because of how much he slaps?" And it's like, well. He is one of the best bass players, but it's not because he yeah. can slap. Right. I mean, that he can do that and can do it well, but I mean, he's just a great musician. It's like B- Billy Sheehan's one of those guys who can actually shred on bass, yeah. right? Like, you know, 64th notes and stuff, but he's good because he's he knows where he knows where and what to do. Total taste. At the right spot. Yeah. Flea so right. comes in, he's basically just playing one note. Right, but it's so it's, much it's the rhythm is like, yeah. <laughs> But again, and I listen, you know, forgive me that I'm just going to be, you know, giving Flea a hand you over here. Like he's, he's, he's awesome on the bass. Um, the fact that he does not play over the bridge 
He just has enough patience. There's no base over the entire bridge. He just holds back and just lets it go. And you're like waiting for it to come in and it doesn't come in. You're waiting for it to come in. It doesn't come in. And then it comes back in on that. And the love that we gave that we made. Right, right. It's well, the so bridge tasteful. is basically the intro that they're sort of yeah. reprising. So that yeah. build up. Yeah. I feel like a te- uh, somebody who was as technically proficient as him, but less tasteful, like, um, like f- again, not as technically proficient, but if I was recording the bass for this, I'd probably be trying to do something funky over that. You would but not no. have sat out the whole part. You I would, would not have, have sat out you. the whole part. Yeah. <laughs> There's space. Let yeah. me fill it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. One thing I did note too. Uh, again, we're just talking about how how the bass is. We're talking really... about Flea on it's a Landis set, by the way, podcast. But we're right, talking right. about Flea the entire time. All right. <laughs> Can you tell we're a bunch of '90s kids yeah. who play stuff? Uh, the bass is clean during the verse, and they add a little bit of dirt. It's a little mm-hmm. overdriven in the chorus, and when he goes into those uh, 16th notes, I guess. It's it's overdriven a little bit. Really makes it feel. Uh, you gotta wonder like what he's heavy. playing there, right? Like, is he like di right into the board? Like, is it actually that they add something, or is he actually like playing a really Ooh. loud amp like right at the edge of breakup, and he's like digging in a little? It's probably both. I, it's I bet you they di would it, and they they had to pass through into the amp too. Mm. So it's, you get the direct and the and the dirty amp sound. So, so while we're on complete musical nerdery, I got to jump into this, right? <laughs> we, we haven't because, been on that for no, no. Well, right, I mean, we've got to we've got to hit like we got to hit the Coolier. That was the right? alternate. That was the alternate oh. name for the podcast: complete musical right. nerdery. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Coolier bit. Yeah, Phil, I'm glad you mentioned. Yeah, that. yeah, but I want to hit this but since we're so deep into this. So Adam, when this came up, like, oh, you know. Uh, we're going to be doing this. I mentioned like, oh, there's this weird thing with the melody that's really cool um, and really out there for like a pop song. Uh, So I actually dug in to figure out what that was and it's super cool. So first of all, the verse, it's like an F sharp to a B, right? So it's basically like an old school, like jazz two, five, one sort of thing. Like it's essentially the same chord pattern as the jam at the end of you enjoy myself or it's the same chord pattern as take five. That's just a, you know, like a different time signature. Okay. It's the same yep. chord pattern. They're doing a totally different thing with it, but it's that chord pattern. But this is where it gets fun. So the the melody is in F sharp Dorian, right? Which is like, so it's essentially an E major, right? But, uh, but they're on the second chord of the progression, right? So you okay. just sort of get some cool overtones. You have like one note, essentially. It feels like it's the money note oh man she's going up to this e flat every now and again and it feels like it's got some some like some tension on it right then where it gets awesome is the chorus because when the chorus comes you've been in this f sharp minor this modified f sharp minor the whole time f sharp dorian and then you go to f sharp major which it's like and i'm here to That's remind why it you. feels and that so totally sh- exactly so it's okay. going from yep. f do, sharp Dorian, right, which is essentially a minor scale, to hard F sharp major, right, and she's but the singing root, the third. The she, root is staying the same. Yeah, she, well, she it, sings the third. She's singing the third, so she goes up this half step. She's now singing, essentially like uh, a B flat, right? Okay. Then she holds that note as it goes to the E chord, right? So now she's singing like a flat five over the E. So she's got all this weird harmony going on, but it makes total sense where you're coming from. Right, because it's basically just like now we're in F sharp minor, now we're in F sharp right. major. Now you're just like holding the weird note over the chord change, like over the bar line, 
like into the yeah, next yeah, yeah. But like it, it, it's so cool and so like jazzy and musical and uh, yeah. yeah, it's so cool. You should that's, definitely check it out. Uh, that's deep for a top forty song. You <laughs> yeah, know what sure, I mean? sure. Yeah, I I saw it on the Beata thing a long time ago and was just like, I got to dig back in. It's really. By the way, really I'm picturing hit. I'm I'm picturing Alan edit editing this. And like we start talking about that, and then it starts getting faster until it's eventually, and then it, it ends, and then we're like, "Wow, that's cool!" <laughs> yeah, he's gonna cut it out, oh. <laughs> dude. That was a pro segue. Right <laughs> Wait, why ever did you mention that, Tom? Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's I uh, got something. Is this to do. song about somebody? Uh, I don't know. Uh, wait, what was the name of the little puppet that he had? Uh, the, the jackalope? <laughs> no, no, no. No, oh, does, uh, no that was from that. America's yeah. Funniest Videos. He had the little uh, woodchuck puppet guy. Yeah. Ranger uh-huh. Joe. Yeah, uh, Ranger something. Ranger something or other. Anyway, yeah. um, apparently Dave Coulier likes to bang late teenagers when he's in his early 30s. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. So, dude, that is what I could not. So I'm trying to do the math in my head, right? Which He's 15 I, years older than she is. She was 19. Jeez. So if yeah. you're 15 years older, if you're 50 and she's 35, hey. Yeah. Have right. at it. There actually, there is no confirmation that it's him. He has acknowledged it, but he has later said that it, he thinks he was doing it as a joke because people kept asking about it. Um, she has refused to say who it's about. However... The fact that it could be any number of guys, I don't know. That seems a little strange <laughs> when you're that young, but hey. For a 19 year Well, because it also yeah, sounds yeah. like they had a relationship. This isn't yeah, like we banged true. once. A one like, night stand. This right, is, right. you know, like, uh, you to- what does he say? Um, uh, do you know that you told me you'd love me until, does she know that you until told me you'd love me until uh, you die, yeah. but you're still alive? Like, yeah. If, the, if it's about Dave Coulier, you know, come on, man. We 34 going after 19 year old oh Canadian, God. like, uh, you know, pop, pop, pop stars. Yeah. Yeah. One more thing on, um, on, I don't know if we want to, if we want to rip on Dave Coulier a little bit more. He's a pretty soft target. So if we want to take some shots at him, we can <laughs> do that. Um, but, uh, I, I really like on the way that the vocals were recorded on this song, when oh, she totally gets agree, up a yeah. little bit of dirt on the high end, when she gets up, she's overdriving it a little bit. She's clipping just the right amount to give it that natural, it, it, little bit of feel. Warmth. It's a note yeah. I have on the last line. Is there super oh, cool, yeah. like microphone breakup, right? Like, just like oh, you're saying, like, yeah, 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 yeah. And you can hear the microphone breakup because they do that really tasteful. Everybody drops out. Of uh, it, over a couple of where they you 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 ought to know yep. just like happens in space and then you get the fleet it's really tastefully done all, all in all like i can see why this was the song that launched you know a thousand other female careers uh for when like i said when they were looking for the atlantis copycat um yeah this is a banger i feel like this album or this song introduced us to a, a persona of a person that I don't think like holds up for the rest of the album though, in the sense that like there's a lasting image of her mm-hmm. as this really like angry, you know, vengeful, and that is what shows up in this and song. Kind of raunchy too, by the way. <laughs> Definitely kind of raunchy. Yeah. You know, and like I remember literally being 15 and being like, "What does it mean to scratch your nails down someone's back?" Like I don't understand yeah. that. But go down on you in a theater. What does that mean? <laughs> I actually thought the first line of the song until I gave it a hard listen. I always thought the first line was, uh, I want you to know I had baked for you. 
<laughs> She's just showing up with banana bread and like he's with some other woman. Like, hey, Uncle Joey, what's happening? There's <laughs> that Catholic that Catholic thing in there. Oh, he baked she baked him a cake and he didn't want it. So mean. I'm gonna write a hate song about it. <laughs> I think they already they already wrote that song, right? Someone left the cake out in the rain. <laughs> Yeah, so let's um, let, let's move on. I think who would have thought Alanis would would turn into a th- the one three hour podcast that we do? We're approaching Joe Rogan at, at this pace. I don't think you can say Joe Rogan anymore. Yeah. Oh, canceled. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Right. We believe in science. Vaccines are real, people. Right. All right. Right. <laughs> right. Well, Rogan is what we'll refer to from now on. So let's move on to to the. Uh, the the lead off track for this for this album all i really want do i stress you out my sweater is on backwards and inside out and you say how appropriate I don't want to dissect everything today I don't mean to pick you apart you see but I I think you have to say it is all I really want. <laughs> yeah. Delivery on this is pretty terrible. I got to say. Oh, I like yeah, this she, song. This is, I, 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 yeah, I dig this one. Happy to dive in. I thought the music was cool. It had a very 90s. Yes. I, I can picture Cheryl Crow doing this. I like the music, but her delivery is rough. She is trying to find some affectation that defines her mm-hmm. and i almost feel like it that's deliberately what it what it was where she was like oh i'll do the yodel like every every uh, uh line ends on this weird like pitch jump thing and it's just it's a mess yeah my note is breathy and hiccupy it's like kind of like hiccupy, yeah that's yeah, yeah. yeah. But Hiccupy, yes, yeah, that's a good definitely. If you listen like very loudly to it, you can hear the breath on it, and she's kind of trying to like. You don't need to take that many breaths in a song. It's very breathy, and I feel like she's trying to push it in a way that makes it, um, you know, edgy. Like I think that she's trying to manufacture edge in this song, maybe a little oh, bit. Oh, to- totally, totally, yeah. yeah. I, I I feel that. See, I agree with everything you guys just said. I just like it. But you like yeah, it. Yeah, right? I just like it. I, t- I I like the way that the song sort of like announces. Now, I, I feel like it announces her, but to the, mm. what we've identified earlier in the podcast, she'd already been announced pretty poorly, right? So yeah, like, right. this was like a re-announcement, I guess. No. But yeah, I, I also like, I like the way you sort of hear the canned drums, but you can't quite tell if maybe there's 
some analog drum overdub. I think the guitar production's cool. I like the way you hear the harmonica right away, even though it's kind of obnoxious harmonica. Sort of like, in my mind, really gives you a taste of like what's to come. Uh, and it sort of builds through you ought to know. You know what actually this reminds me of? Um, not this song. I just you're talking about the reintroduction. Do you guys are you familiar with like Katy Perry, right? And she, yeah, sure. Yeah, she, um, she actually worked with uh, Ballard, um, that guy on uh, producing some of her earlier albums. But she had two albums that basically were totally flopped and kind of went nowhere, um, and were like very much a different style. I think she was recording like out of Nashville for her first two albums, and then oh, she wow. had like her breakthrough with that song "I Kissed a Girl," and kind of got mm-hmm. more of that sort of poppy side of things. Um, so yeah, another one of those like um, somebody, some record executive looked at her and was like, "Yeah, I can make a lot of money off of you. We're just gonna find, right. <laughs> we're gonna find your lane. We're gonna give you a couple find of tries spot, to find yeah. your lane, and then once you find it, there we go." Dude, we got to get our music to over to Glenn Ballard, man. Seems like a fucking hit maker. Yeah. Well, I think Glenn Ballard, Ballard would probably look at us and be like, you're not marketable at all. You're like, could you <laughs> do like a blues office. traveler thing where you guys are playing in the background and we have much more attractive <laughs> people out on stage? Unless you want my job, I don't have a job for yeah, you. And I'm exactly. not really into that. So. Yeah. He's like, that's literally what I do. Like, that's my job. If I find attractive people and I help them make hits, you are unattractive people. I get And you don't even write hits. So, like, what are you doing here? Well, that's where he comes in, is he writes the hits and we just, we're the eye candy. <laughs> I did appreciate that she did the reverse hall notes on this, which no, for our listeners, the reverse hall notes is not a sex move. The reverse <laughs> hall notes is where you mention something in the lyrics and then follow through. You actually follow through with it. So she says something around the 308 mark, like, can you handle this? And all the sound stops. Here, can you handle this? Did you think about your bills, your extra deadlines? And it got, they got me. I went over to my phone for, I was like, oh, did I just lose power? Yep. Or like, did my thing? And then she comes right back in. I was like, oh, you got me. Alanis, well done. Yeah, it's long enough that you're like, this can't be intentional. <laughs> and you're like, right. oh, no. It's, it's one of those yeah. things where it's like, you. I almost feel like it's in an excellent use of digital recording. Because you hear it like drop off in this cold digital way. And it's like, what did it break? Yeah, you know? there's no tape home and yeah, warp and hiss there. It's, it's like a void. It's, it's like, like yeah. negative decibel. You know? It's like space. <laughs> Nobody can hear you scream going. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's a, that's a great. There are some really cool production choices on this. And it really does sit in an interesting space between like sort of like rock and like, I don't even know. So, you know, for that era, like I don't even know what to call it. I guess pop. Can we segue from a cool choice to a terrible choice here? Yeah. Um, go on. Okay. You you know, you're writing a song. At some point, you're like, oh, I, I, I had just recently had this experience. I walked into a studio, and I didn't have, like, a pre-chorus written for the song. And I was like, man, I, well, I just have to write a pre-chorus. Little did I know. I could have just gone, ah, 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 and not written a line. That would have been so much easier. Like, who, that's the end of your chorus? Did you just go, ah, 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 ah. I think you guys harmonized there. We did. <laughs> Uh, baffled by it. this song sold more 
than I will ever sell of anything in my entire <laughs> life. And, you know, yeah, couldn't be bothered to finish the course. What? Uh, okay. Anyway, I'll, I'll get past that annoyance. There's a lot of over singing just on this album. It, it, you know, I think she has a cool voice. She has a unique voice, but she's got that range, that lower end of the range. Cause it, actually it comes up pretty specifically on this song. Cause if you notice over the pre-chorus, she has to jump the falsetto in the middle of that line. And that's not an unhittable note. Like she kind of jumps up to falsetto on that. Like she, many, many female singers, like most female singers could hit that seamlessly from the chest or the throat, but she jumps up to falsetto halfway through. It's like, she, she knows her range really well on a lot of these songs, but, and I'll give her credit. She slides in and out of falsetto pretty seamlessly. It's not like it sounds terrible, but it is noticeable that she's no longer singing from the chest anymore. She's singing falsetto and has to kind of slide back in, back in and out of it. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of uh, vocal performance, let's go on to um, one of the non-singles that we're going to talk about here, which is the song "Perfect." Let's uh, let's give that a quick spin here. Sometimes. It's never quite enough If you're flawless Then you're in my love Don't forget to win first place Don't forget to keep that smile My only notes for this song, perfect, are this song sucks so hard. More Catholic <laughs> guilt? Why? <laughs> my, Phil, Why? my 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 first my first note for perfect is this song sucks so bad. <laughs> and then it ends with kill kill Flanders. <laughs> oh this oh my god! Terrible! Holy shit! I just I. I like the idea of, you know, you cool off after, you know, track three or four. Like, you gotta gotta cool off. You can't maintain that mm-hmm. pace. But this is not that. It, it's, it's, it's horrible. And <laughs> <laughs> here's, so I understand that, these, that a lot of these were demos. And that the point was to make these quick and dirty. I think she said something like, I don't want, you know, we, we weren't too precious about this. And I respect that. And I think mm-hmm. that is, uh, has a lot to do with why the album was successful. But she's straight up out of tune in this song. Yeah, I feel like she's the pitchy. The uh, there we weren't too precious about things. It's just a way of saying like we didn't fix a bunch of mistakes. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. 
There's a, a mark, a moment at the 58 second mark where her voice just completely cracks. It's like, hello. And they kept it. And I was like, how, it was one phrase you could, you had the ADAT. You could have gone go back punch, and fixed do that. Do a punch. <laughs> do it, just do a quick punch. Yeah. Felt a little lazy. A little lazy compared to the rest right. of the song? <laughs> right. Yeah. I feel like this was sort of emblematic, though, of the rest of the filler songs in that they're so utterly unremarkable that this album is really, it's the singles. Six songs. Yeah, it's six songs. With- what makes me wonder, like, why why not just take it to, like, nine tracks? And then you've got your six stacked singles and now you've got a a heady album whether you think the singles are good or not right you've You've only got three turds in there you know what i mean and and that fills it out versus another thing to remember is this is cd era music recording Mm. we're like if you're not getting 60 minutes of music you're not getting your money's worth we can put four hours on the cd if we need to like yeah um cd era versus vinyl era versus even the tape era i think it's just it's very different people were looking at it from the standpoint of like you got to give them their money's worth no it's true i noticed this of the other alanis morissette records at least the sort of adjacent ones that i didn't really listen to much but i sort of like browsed them they were also clocking in at like 54 minutes 71 minutes like 71 minutes that's too like, long. That this album's yeah, fifty like seven minutes. Yeah. territory. Yeah, like <laughs> if you don't, if, if this isn't the wall, I don't want seventy one minutes. Right. Like, you know, like only concepts albums and uh, seriously, and good and con- fish and albums, good concept be, right. albums at that, right? right? Like a live fish tape is a different thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. So this was this was a uh, straight clunker. I don't, I don't think there's any disagreement there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let, moving on, I think we're going to get into probably most of the rest of some of the singles here. Let, let's check out the song Hand in My Pocket. I'm broke, but I'm happy. I'm poor, but I'm kind. I'm short, but I'm healthy. heard a really cool cover of this song by a band called deep sea diver recently so i was sort of in a different headspace coming into this song because i had recently heard it i think reimagined successfully but on listening back to this i got i there, there's something that sticks out to me in this track and it, it, again it goes back to the production 
is there is a guitar and there's like a swirly guitar and it's all over the record. And it reminds me specifically, this is such a weird reference. It reminds me of the band song, Life is a Carnival. I don't know if that's the amp or if it's an effect, but if you go and check out that song, the band's Life is a Carnival, it's got this like hard panned left swirly guitar. And it's like I hazy swear to, almost. Yeah, exactly. It's like some kind of like, I don't know if it's like amp tremolo on a certain type of amp. I don't know, but I feel like it's the exact same sound, like pulled off a record and just dropped into like 1993, right? 1995. Uh, and it's a very hip sound, and I just think it speaks to, what was the producer's name, Alan? Glenn Alan? Ballard. Yeah, I, I think these are really, really well-constructed recordings. I was surprised that this was synth bass. Again, like I, I'm all over huh. the place because being in, introduced to You Ought to Know, right? That is a super organic, it's a band, it's a rock song. And my, uh, hand in my pocket, it's absolutely a, a keyboard synth bass, which is why it sounds so full. And I like it, it yeah. works, but it's just, this is one of those albums where, you know, uh, Metallica's Ride the Lightning, a handful of other albums where like I've listened to them really loud before. And this album I'd never listened to loud before. I've listened to it in like my, you know, my 1984 Toyota Tercel station wagon, you know, cranked up. And you're not getting a whole lot of clarity and definition in that. Mm-hmm. So this was the first time I ever listened to it loud with heads, headphones on. And even though it's totally synth bass, it uh, it sounds great. It sounds full. It it's works like hilariously cheesy, but it right. And even the tone of it's not. It's like it knows what it is. It's one step away from the Seinfeld. Everything you know? like <laughs> you, you guys have helped me triangulate the sound like synth bass and this guy working on Michael Jackson records. This is essentially the bass sound from Man in the Mirror. Oh, dude, <laughs> totally. Yo, that's, yeah, this dude, is. Dude, yeah. Phil, you pulled that out of nowhere. Well, <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very familiar yeah. with bad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm driving I'm driving to your house tonight and giving you a high five. Because right. I've got one hand in my pocket and the other one's giving you a high five. Oh, good. <laughs> have we, have we, sorry, I had, to, I had to walk away for a second. My son was in the corner and I was like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm, I'm making fart sounds with this bike pump. And I was like, listen, you know, uh, fart sounds have no place on this podcast. And I remember maggot brain. I was like, well, actually, maybe they do. But still, you, you need to you need to go back upstairs, buddy. Um so, did we talk about uh, the the chorus of this song and how it completely bumps me that apparently the it's called rhyme juxtaposition where you write a song and you have things that rhyme and then you just move them around so they don't rhyme anymore. That's like that. so annoying. I can't. Okay, so like, listen, the the whole like um, everything is going to be fine, fine, fine because I got one hand in my pocket and the other one's given a peace sign. That should be the line, but instead she switches it to high five, which is the one where it's like, uh, you know, that's kind of a slant rhyme with the quite all right, and the haven't got it all figured out just yet is the other one's flicking a cigarette. Like, all those would rhyme, but she just moved them around, and it, every time oh, it shit. bumps me. And I'm just like, just, ah, uh, you, it, that doesn't, it's like you tried to take a shortcut to make it interesting, and it didn't make it interesting. Just, I, it's I a agree. straightforward song. Give me the straightforward rhyme that I want to hear. Don't try to get all... You know, and then all of a sudden, at the end, she's like, oh, it's a little, a little too obvious. How about I throw in piano and taxi cab at the end? <laughs> <laughs> it's just terrible, terrible, terrible. 
I'm brave, but I'm chicken shit. Come on, that's a great line. I love. There's the thing. I uh, right? like Isn't that the a song great- a lot. <laughs> I really do like this song. And I think that that what it all comes down to mm. is everything's gonna be quite alright. It's a great melody. The chords mm. are great, but it's so straightforward. And then she tried to make it, I guess, less straightforward by changing the lyrics around. Like, no, if it had just been so straightforward the entire time, I'd have liked it a lot more, honestly. I think she sounds great vocally on this track too. In, in comparison to the to the off the off key yodeling of some of the other yeah. tunes, like she sounds really solid. On, it hits on this her tune. range really well, and when she's oh, in her yes. range, yeah. she's got a yep. powerful voice. Totally, yeah, for yeah. sure. She's at her best when she is sort of belting, but not doing the squeaky thing at the end of each line. I, I yeah, think that that's right. her sort of sweet spot. Like we when actually, the squeaky thing actually happens organically, it's very cool. Right, but when it's at the end of every line and it's yes. over singing, yeah, the manufactured thing, it's yeah. it's tough. Um, speaking of good voice, I, I think um, it's probably in my mind a good segue to the next song that we're going to talk about, which is uh, "Head Over Feet." I had no choice but to hear you. You stated your case time and again. I thought about it. You treat me like I'm a princess. I'm not used to lying that You ask how my day was. You've already won me over. In spite of me, don't be alone if I. Phil, on the text string, you were talking about how much you loved this song and this could have been a Beatles song, right? Um, I think I said it could be a Beatles song because of the, the, is it a key change into the chorus and the chord pattern, the harmonica, the lyrics? I was like, this, this feels like meet, not meet the Beatles, maybe like. Uh, one of one of the the second or third albums in. If you added that boom, cha cha cha, boom, cha cha cha, and you did this song over that with John and Paul, would it be be a Beatles song? Yeah, I hear that. I hear you're talking like you almost want like the uh, sort of like uh, all my loving sort of drum beat, right? Like something. But yeah, 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 it yeah. just and you, it is it sort pr- of like a key change into the chorus. I never noticed that before. Like, what is that? So here, here's what happens. Uh, so first of all, the verse of this song is just let it be. Uh, C, G, A minor, F. There's a name for those changes. There's a, uh, it'll come to me. There's a specific, I learned this recently. But, uh, you know, basically like the song is kind of hanging out on that C, G, A minor, F. And there's like, um, uh, but then they throw in this, uh, there's the B minor that is naturally in the scale. And then over the core, the, over the chorus, where he's like, "Don't be alarmed if I fall." They hit a B flat, head over. That, uh, that is a cool yeah. ass chord. It's a I, real good yeah. chord. Yeah, and that's just very just like a tasty. B flat major, right? B flat major. Yeah. Wow. So like most, and and also also an A major in the chorus too. So A minor over the verse, A major over the chorus, and they throw that B flat in there, and that's the chord that 
that like it sticks out a lot. That head over feet. It's, it's definitely it's, a yeah. flavor chord for sure. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. I also think in addition to the the musical choices, I, this is I think this is one of the better songs on the album. Adam, I agree. You made a comment when we did the Amy Winehouse album back to black i forget what song it was but you you said something like you know she showed up into the studio and just was herself and just sang mm-hmm. without a lot of like pretense or without trying too hard or over singing and i really felt that with this song where it wasn't like there was no like shock value like it just felt like a very honest song with very basic singing um and it was the only song <laughs> we haven't really talked much about the harmonica some of the songs oh it's pretty useless <laughs> and i think in this song it's not great but it, at least oh. at least it's like something in- I, right. I was like did they just stumble across a harmonica in the studio and somebody's like i could totally play the harmonica it's her yeah, totally it's, she, she's playing it i think that really? was her yeah she she plays it on on all the tracks which you she can tell it's it's no she's like no, no guitar <laughs> solos harmonica yeah. solos yeah i'm on it <laughs> Again, where where is where is this in the blues traveler timeline? Had she been like, I can totally do the John Popper on this one. <laughs> the the only other thing I'll say about the song, and it, it's it's another criticism of the album, or just something that kind of rubs me a little bit wrong, is it's I think it's a great chorus, but she goes back to this chorus like six times. And at some oh, point, yeah. it's like yeah. it's like a piece of gum where it tastes good, you know, for the first like minute, and then afterwards, it really just like loses its flavor. I think, especially because they get to the chorus real fast. Like the song starts, they're writing with the lyrics, and she's at the chorus at like thirty-four seconds. So like, they, no double verse, and that you know, like they are. Well, in there's the no bridge either. There's quick. no bridges on half these songs, ah, and the and the right, harmonica right. solo is in the chorus chords. So there's yeah, just it just yeah. feels like it's like, it, you know, there's like this dichotomy in all in all the songs where it's either verse chorus verse chorus verse chorus six times, or it's soft loud soft loud soft loud. Mm-hmm. But again, it's a, it's a it's a product. It's like a a derivative sort of package that's being you know put together by an experienced producer. Well, and the the one 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 of my kind of criticisms, and I understand that now that we understand a lot of context about how this was put together, the drum programming, specifically the drum sound, there's a fill at three oh four, which if you want to know what an artificial like I don't know whatever the the Yamaha DM two whatever it was out in nineteen ninety four, this is the default snare sound at three oh four. You've already won me over. In spite of me. It's like it's just it's just wonky. And it kind it kind of kinda of put me off actually. Yeah, this that's, is the one that the really... synth drums really bumped me on this. They didn't in most of the other songs. In this right. one, I was like after listening to that rhythm nation ripoff sound song that she had, I was like, "Oh, the, those drums sounds make a little bit more sense now, knowing that, that that's context, yeah. yeah, right." She was like, "Oh, no, th- these these synth drums are dope. This is like <laughs> this is exactly what I'm going for here. You know, we'll like, be perfect yeah, right bloop, here. Bloop. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, five year old technology coming through right. loud and clear on the drums. <laughs> I do remember last thing I'll say about this song. I do think the video is actually worth a look because. She's kind of known for the other videos being really out there or, you know, like the ironic video, which we'll talk about. We'll talk about the song in a minute. But 
I think some of her videos were highly produced and and a little bit out there. Have you guys seen this video or do you remember this growing up? It's literally just her. I don't think she has much makeup on or anything. It's just oh, her staring yeah. into the camera. She's in like a white room the or entire like a white time. space or it's, something. It's a black background. Black background. Oh, yeah. I think it's worth a watch. And I it actually, watching the video and seeing her, there's definitely a like vulnerability that comes through in watching her. You know, well, you know, she's not really singing in the video, but deliver this that I, I think is kind of worth a... Uh, Worth a look if you have a few minutes. Oh, it's sort of like a Sinead O'Connor sort of thing. But yeah, yeah. I, I completely agree with what you're saying about her uh, nudity. Persona? or like, like, No, yeah. like it, it does feel like she's an open book on this record to some degree. Like it does feel sincere or authentic. This, Al and I just pulled up the video and I, I, I see exactly what you're saying. It's like... It's like a high def camera, like nine inches from her face, like no makeup. Well, and it was in an era where it was all about like, let's make November rain and into this like epic saga. (laughs) Epic, yeah. And at the same time, she's not Kurt Cobain. She's not like, I don't know when I last bathed, I'm covered in my own filth and I'm addicted (laughs) to drugs. You know, like she... And it's also it's not like the waterfalls video, right? Which was all which mentioned TLC before. Probably a smart move on her part because I think all of her videos, like the you want to know video, it's just like her and the band like in the desert, right? Like there's not a lot of money that went into any of these, which is a smart move because you got to pay all that money back. Mm-hmm. I feel the vulnerability aspect, hundred percent true. I one of my general notes for this album is like, it's like she dumped her purse out and just let everybody go through it with no shame <laughs> or like the modern oh, no. equivalent. is just like your phone is unlocked and you hand it to somebody and it's like, go right. at it, check it out. Here's look at my browser history. Look at all my pictures, whatever you want. Look at all the insecurity that I have manifested in the different apps that I have, but have never opened or touched. <laughs> yes, check it off. Really? Whatever you want to do. You can delete yeah. anything. It's your call. Yeah. So you mean me never opening the Calm app says something about me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It says when you that go you... to open it, it's like, we're going to have to download that one again. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Set up account is like the first right. thing you see when you Damn go. Damn it. Same thing with my seven-minute workout app that I have. <laughs> oh, do you ever, you ever have one of those apps where you can like opt into a text message reminder, and then after a couple of days, you're like, fuck. <laughs> like a friend you know you like you go in and i forget you give it like the like the night setting or whatever like it right. doesn't, you know, it's like, have doesn't you gone for a walk today it. no i haven't i'm about to eat right. my seventh piece yeah, of right. pizza so fuck yeah. off yeah. Right. <laughs> well, i was thinking about walking to the liquor store because i had too many beers to drive you know you know maybe that <laughs> 400 steps woohoo uh technology reminding me of my failures yeah. Uh, isn't it ironic, Al- Alan? <laughs> Don't oh, you think? <laughs> dude, Tom's got the segues tonight. <laughs> Speaking of which, let's let's uh, let's move to what actually was the this was the like commercially the biggest song and probably what you know the like soccer moms in their minivans with the curses <laughs> blurred out. Like this is this is that song, but let, let's let's check it out. Chardonnay 
It's a death row pardon Two minutes too late And isn't it ironic Don't you think It's like The soccer moms in the car really painting a vivid picture here of, again, back to the album. Isn't it just four of her in a car driving down the road? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this song. So just to get this out of the way, because it comes up anytime anyone talks about the song, the whole the fact that it's not ironic like she she's definitely addressed that a few times. She even did a video with um, with James Corden on on his late night show where she sort of like pokes some fun at herself. this song, this of all the songs, they were all written very quickly. Apparently, this one was written in like 15 minutes and was written like as a joke. I don't think it was meant to be the. It's a great chorus, like it's it's musically, it's a great song, but it, it's also another one of those like soft, loud, soft, loud, soft, loud mm-hmm. kind of things that yeah. you go back to that well enough times. It's like raying. Sorry, I <laughs> I really don't like that delivery. <laughs> the high harmony. She sounds like a cartoon character. Like it sounds like something straight out of Looney Tunes or Animaniacs or <laughs> you name it. It was just super high, yeah. nasally, robotic, duck sounding. Sorry, that's at least it has a bridge though. I will say yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I remember back in the day, Phil. You, I think you made my favorite comment about high harmony of all time. Is that's in that song, "The Lion Sleeps Tonight," where you're like, "That note is so high, it sounds racist." <laughs> I was like, "Oh wow." <laughs> Yeah, it does, especially considering that those were white guys making that song. It, yeah. Right, yeah. right. It was like, uh, this was one of those notes where it's just like, it's remarkably high. I can't like picture a human being hitting that note naturally. I wonder if they actually did something in the studio, like pitch shifted it up, because it's, it's far enough in the mix that it, you can't really... It's uh, high, man. Tell if it's... It's high as hell, but yeah, I don't know. Inter- interesting choice there yeah so alan you mentioned at the beginning that like none of this stuff is ironic i was trying to think of like what she was actually trying to describe and i was like you you could have called the song inconvenient like (laughs) almost all these things are just inconvenient yeah (laughs) it's like oh yeah it's raining that sucks i don't have a fork and that Uh, really sucks i don't have a knife oh that sucks but as like a 15 uh, year old i do remember thinking like yeah man everything does suck like fuck yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> right. I don't know what ironic means yet, but I guess I'll trust Yeah, and you. she was 19. Like, I can't really, I can't talk a lot of shit. Yeah. When I was 19, I was an objective moron. Just the dumbest person in the Chardonnay, world. But she did Chardonnay, that a black fly would contrast with Chardonnay. So, something. Oh, that was the producer, though, right? Or Dave Coulier giving yeah. her drinks. <laughs> Scumbag. Sorry, that's... No, he's a dirtbag. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 no. Have have another. It's okay. Hey, don't worry about it. Oh, I'm gonna love you forever, baby. Don't worry. Oh, Dave, you monster. I have gotten over the fact that none of this stuff is ironic, and have that be the reason why I don't like this song. That's that's silly. Whatever. All all kinds of songs have dumb lyrics that don't really make any sense. That's fine. The reason I don't like this song is that her pronu- her pronunciation of the word 
figures as figures <laughs> at the end of the chorus. I every time I'm just like Cringe. figures. Like, come on, why? You could have done it. You could have done it. It's Canadian. Yeah. Come on, you gotta. Canadians don't say that. It's not like that's a Canadian thing. It's didn't you say it figures, figures it. You know? right. <laughs> anyway, back to the subject matter at hand. Yes. Um, what the hell is up with that ending of this song? Know, it's just everybody just kind of stops playing, but at separate times, like it just kind of fell apart, and they kept it on the tape. What? Come on, endings are not that hard. Fade or hit a hard chord. Those are the two <laughs> very easy ones that you could just do. You could just super chorus the shit out of this and fade. That'd have been fine too. Or you just hit a hard chord. Da -na -na -na. It figures. And not figures. It figures. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You're done. But now, end of the one. Good night. Yeah. I just don't like this song. <laughs> well, here's one thing I will say about it. All right. I like this over the chorus. It's again, it's another one of those like, you know, taste chords is that the song is basically in, it, the song is in B major, but over the chorus, that line that who would have thought they hit an A major very prominently there, mm -hmm. which mm, gives it a little bit of taste, okay. a little bit of flavor there. Yeah, you know, and that, yeah. that mixes it up a little bit. I still don't like the song. It's a pro move. Yeah, right? but it's definitely, it's definitely the move of a guy who has worked with Michael Jackson before and like knows what to do to spice things up a little bit. It's a catchy song, but I, I think my problem in general, and I think I've said this a few times, is the the persona that you're introduced to in this album is this this like powerhouse of emotion and anger. And then as the album goes by, you get more and more songs kind of like this. That's, a, that's an interesting point, right? Because it's like, you know... Is is she you ought to know or like is she like the sort of like playlist culture you know like ironic singer right that yeah obviously like this yeah the pop singer exactly yeah it's interesting um, most of her stuff that I, I I'm pretty sure most of her stuff did not sound like you ought to know ever truth. before or after I think that seems right, like a little right. bit more of a yeah, the aberrant one. Maybe she stopped, uh, you know, dating uh, sitcom stars. <laughs> Getting half of the Red Hot Chili Peppers to... You know, it's a, yeah. an track. interesting detail about this record is she re-recorded the record acoustic, like, maybe like 15 years after she released it. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's, it's cash grab. <laughs> totally, we have like a, total can cash we have grab. like a can we have a, a like a like just a, a drop a sound drop yeah, for right. a cash grab? Because <laughs> yeah. that's great. Dude. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't blame her. Uh, if somebody told me you can take all of their terrible poetry from high school and put it to music and I'll give you four million dollars. Like, yeah, here's the Done. most embarrassing ones first where I name names. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, in 2005 she released Jagged Little Pill Acoustic. Uh, hey man, you got to got to make the monies. All right, Alan, I know you're trying to wrap this thing up. I got one more fun little tidbit. Do you guys watch How I Met Your Mother? Yes. Or have you ever watched it? I have it? watched it. Yes. Okay. Do you know the character Robin? I do, yes. and I know exactly what you're going to say. <laughs> There is a bit in there where she, uh, her friends find out that when she was a kid, she was like a teeny pop star in Canada. It's based on Alanis Morissette. So her name as a pop star was Robin Sparkles. 
And in later episodes, you find out that she went all dark and angry and became Robin Daggers, yeah. which I just think is hilarious. Well, and, so. and isn't the joke that she was like, um, she dated Alan Thicke for a yes, period of time? Yes, and that was like the, <laughs> I think is, that yeah. is giving Dave Coulier credit where we don't really know if Coulier <laughs> deserves that credit. Because Alan Thicke was in his 50s in like 90, which is hilarious in the 90s. All right, that's it for me. That's awesome. That's a solid nugget right there. (laughs) I hope Dave Collier doesn't have any AI scraping the interwebs for us. (laughs) It's going to come. You know what? A lawsuit from him could be just what this podcast needs to really take (laughs) off. Revitalize his career. From what I've heard about Dave Collier, I've I've, I've read some interviews with him and and seen him on some, some like, you know, podcasts and whatnot. He seems like he is like, do you have any idea how much money I made off of Full House? I don't give a fuck about anything anymore at all. I just like play pickup games of basketball with my friends and like do whatever the hell I want all the time. So I have like forty million dollars of Full House money. So go fuck yourself. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, by the Syndication. way, it is the right attitude to take towards like you know being like famous enough that people know who you are, but not famous enough that you can do other stuff and have it be like you know nobody's offering him the lead. In like uh, right. it wasn't like well it was either gonna be Leo or uh, or Dave Coulier in Titanic <laughs> and we went with Leo I don't you know tomato tomato you know <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah all right so I'm actually curious to see what our verdict is on this um, I think I have a sense but um, let's go around the horn does this album belong on the list Phil what say you so I was really taken aback with this record. I, I think I had a maybe a much lower expectation or maybe even went in sort of expecting to dislike it. Uh, and I found it really, really just a fantastic and fun listen. Uh, it's a yes for me. There are some absolute stinkers on here. And I, I don't want to pretend that there are not. I think this is a really important record. I think it it's at the intersection of a lot of things around 90s pop culture, female singer-songwriters, sort of like rock production from the 90s and the sort of like, there's just a lot here to dig into. Um, so it's a yes for me. Well, you know, I came into this thinking that I've used the criteria in the past that I, I don't picture this as you've lived on Mars and you have not heard rock music or popular music. And the, the sheer fact that six of these songs were singles and they were huge singles. Like if you were around a radio in the 90s, you heard the good songs on this album. Normally, I would say that disqualifies me from saying you need to listen to the album as a whole. Because you've heard everything that needs to be heard off of the album if you're just anybody who listened to music or was around a radio or in a car with friends in the 90s. But the fact that it sold so many copies and the fact that it really did have such an impact on the way that women were thought about in the musical world and, you know, it opened avenues. I got to give it a yes. Um, Again... If you are the kind of person who is familiar with all of the singles on this, you might want to listen to the rest of the songs just for the contrast and be like, oh, wow, they right. they picked the right singles because most of these are garbage. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it's an undeniable album. You can't 
you can't say this doesn't belong on the list and then you know say that Black Sabbath Volume 4 does belong on the list because this <laughs> as much as I like Black Sabbath Volume 4 more than this album this album did a lot more for music than that album did so Hey this is Adam I'm going to jump right on the bandwagon uh I do think you need to hear this album this podcast gave me a lot of context around how it was produced I appreciate that Alanis Morissette knew that in whatever form or fashion she wanted to be an entertainer the fact that this is kind of her last gasp and also most successful, I think, is a very cool story in uh, in music. So it's a yes for me. There's at least six slamming tunes on here. Even the, you know, I, I know we're shitting a lot on the on the bad ones, but, you know, there are a couple mediocre tunes that I still think are pretty good. I, I agree so, with that. Yeah. I just think there's one or two absolute turns. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to say listen to it. Yeah, I'm right there with you all. It's It's an easy yes for me. Phil, you mentioned this in our text thread, something about like lover or hater, she's a legend or she's an icon. And it's definitely true. She hasn't done anything really since then. And if she came out with the greatest hits album, it would probably just be half of Jagged Little Pill. Um, But for that reason, for the commercial success and for her iconic status, all that stuff, it's a, a pretty easy yes for me as well. So there you have it, folks. Four for four. Got a got a clean sweep here. Um, nice. Let's now set our sights to what we're going to listen to next week. Uh, Tom, you got the Albinator fired up? I do. I have the Albinator 5000. Let's get that bad boy spinning. So without any further ado, drum roll, please. Next week we will be listening to... Tribe called Quests, low end theory. Hell yeah! Really interesting, interesting little known fact about this band: in the early '90s, Q-Tip also was fucking Dave Coulier. (laughs) (laughs) Was that on the pop-up video that that you saw? (laughs) Pop-up videos, well done, sir. He got, uh, around, yeah, so he got around. I, I hope Q-Tip does not come and kick my ass, but I think he's like 5'6 <laughs> or something like that, so I'd probably be okay. He would understand that we're making fun of Dave Coulier. He'd, make, he'd understand right. we're making <laughs> fun of Dave Coulier. Him. Q-Tip would have been way too old for Dave Coulier by that time, by the way. <laughs> well, so did we get it right? Did we get it wrong? Let's. Uh, we we want to hear from you. Email us at 1001albumcomplaints at gmail.com. So on on the emailing front, I, I want to throw out there to our listeners a question. A couple of weeks ago, we noticed a large spike in our listenership from the state of Virginia that just so happened to coincide with us releasing our episode of the Rage Against the Machine episode. And so here's what I want to know. Was there something that happened in Virginia? Like, did some Virginia college radio station say, listen to this? Or was there some, like, Virginia message board? Or is the is, is the NSA, like, listening to, right. like, downloading all of our it's, podcasts to see if we're... It's you know, all bots, man. Behavior? It's all bots. That's what I think. It's all bots. All bots. We have no actual <laughs> listeners. We're just doing this for ourselves. You know what? I'm actually okay yes. with that. That's fine. Yeah. Right and now. I'm fine yeah. with I that. assumed that's what was happening. <laughs> but hey, listen, if you do like it, feel free to tell people it's good. There's nothing wrong with that. You can, you know, you can review us, do all that stuff. And if you're in Virginia, let us know. Is there some groundswell of Virginia support out there? Or are we about to have our doors kicked in by jackbooted thugs in the middle of the night? 
<laughs> if they haven't come for us before this podcast, I think we're right. I'm much closer. Than There's a lot there. <laughs> we're in the clear. All right. Well, uh, with that, I am Alan. I'm Phil. I'm Tom. And I'm Adam. It's like booze. <laughs> <laughs>